welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast today. This is episode number 317, and we're speaking with our good buddies Justin and Garrett of Top Priority Hunting. You may be familiar with their work on Instagram, on YouTube, or from the Full Draw Film Tour. These guys are great behind the camera, and they're great hunters. Today we're mostly talking about their rifle elk hunt from this fall, but we get into topics that we've discussed prior, such as the transition of being an archery elk hunter and then getting over into rifle elk hunting, which if you've heard prior episodes of the podcast, you may know is basically the journey that Steve and I have been on personally the last couple of years. So we talk about that. We talk about how the bow hunting mindset can help you as a rifle hunter, what are some differences between hunting elk in September versus October, and what are the similarities. We get into that and a lot more, as well as just hear some great hunting stories and have some laughs along the way. If you are an elk hunter, no matter whether you use a bow or a rifle, you'll certainly enjoy this episode. Don't forget to check out the Top Priority Instagram. There's a link in the show description because as you'll hear about, they're running a giveaway right now as this episode is released. And for the first several days that this episode will air, you can go over and check out Justin and Garrett's bulls from this past fall, guess the score, and be entered to win an X amount gear gift card. And you can do all that once again on their Instagram profile, and there's a link in the show description. Before we get into this conversation, just wanted to remind you guys that if you haven't yet shared your EXO experience, you can still do that. The EXO experience giveaway is still running right now as this episode is released in November of 2021. Again, check out the link for the EXO experience giveaway in the show description to learn more about that, see the prizes, and understand how you can get entered. Right now, though, let's dive into this discussion with Justin and Garrett of Top Priority Hunting. Guys, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Uh, excited to have you on here today and chat about elk hunting and some other things. Uh, I want to do something maybe a bit different for an introduction for guys who may not know you, but Justin, I want you to introduce Garrett and Garrett introduce Justin because neither of you guys are going to talk about yourselves much if I ask you personally. So Justin, tell us about Garrett. So Garrett is, he's the, he's the young buck of the, of our crew, Thomas, uh, 30 dude. met him, him <laughs> oh, probably six or seven years ago. Um, met him through his ex-girlfriend and we just seemed to click instantly kind of had the same motto as far as our hunting styles and what we wanted to do. And ever since he's been my go-to partner, as far as uh, that guy that just wants to do the bonsai trips and pretty much, uh, any, any elk, any deer that we're, uh, willing to go after. I know that he's, you know, ready to rock and roll and there's no question. So he's been a huge asset to top priority hunting, um, huge asset to my family and my friends. He's, uh, he's a good dude, works really hard and yeah, just, uh, can't say enough about him. He's, he's a good dude. Nice. I was all positive, Garrett. I was <laughs> going to have you throw some shade at Justin, yeah, but it was kind of too some, nice. There will be some shade once we stock, start talking about the elk hunt. <laughs> all right. All right. Good. Good. I'd expect nothing less. What would you say about Justin? Once you've known each other for uh, seven years, you know, you find out a lot, a lot about a person when you're in the back country. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, uh, some of what Justin said, it's been about seven years, um, was kind of at the age when I was younger that couldn't really find anybody that was just crazy that wanted to, you know, pretty much leave it all on the line and, and go in after anything, anywhere. And, uh, that's, that's been pretty cool about hunting with Justin is we get into some pretty shady situations. I would say now that, uh, we should probably think twice about going into some places, but, uh, it's been quite the adventurous seven years. Um, especially the, the hunting part and the filming all looped together. Um, probably the funnest thing doing with Justin was, uh, him getting me into the filming portion of, uh, top priority. That's been uh, super fun. Um, big learning curve, um, at the start. And then now it's just kind of like filming my brother, um, on a hunt. It's, he doesn't even need to turn around and tell me, you know, when we're on a, on a stock or we're working in on an animal, it's just like second nature now. Cause we've been hunting together so long. Um, one of the, one of the funnest dudes I've, I've had the pleasure to hunt with and, uh, really enjoyed my time the last seven years with Justin and many more years to go until the body breaks down and we can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of body breaking down. I wanted to ask what, uh, for each of you, what's your, I would say favorite, you could also say maybe worst, but memories from death hikes. Cause you guys have done pretty much most of them, uh, in the last handful of years. And I can think of different times of looking at you guys and seeing you in pain or like seeing you react to certain things on, on the plan. Uh, so yeah, if you think of death hikes as a whole, what's like the biggest standout memory for you, Justin, for me, it had to have been the the hundred miler the first the first year i didn't do the second one but about mile 20 my feet were blistered up and i'm looking over at you guys and your feet are perfect and it just was like i have no idea how i'm gonna get through this thing and i just you know wouldn't quit and it was the most pain i've ever felt every step felt like i was on glass I had like a nerve on the side of my ankle that flared up and I pretty much had duct tape wrapped around my ankles, my boots. Um, so, so for me, it was that trip. But if you start naming any of the death hikes, I have had issues on every single one of them, whether it's a knee issue, ankles, feet, I have the weakest feet. Um, I pretty much can't walk in my front yard without, you know, a pair of shoes can't definitely can't go barefoot, just very sensitive. So I don't know if I need to walk on hot coals before one of these hikes or, or what, but it just, yeah, every, every single year it's a, I get back and I tell Garrett, we're never doing that again. Like this is stupid. <laughs> and then we always end up doing it and mainly cause Steve, but. Yeah. Dude. I remember looking at you then like pretty early into day one on that hundred miler and not not to say anything about you personally but i just remember thinking there's no way he's going to finish and it wasn't i didn't think less of you or think you were weak i was just thinking if i were in that position looking like that this early i don't i couldn't finish like that's where my head was at so that's what i was thinking about you and yeah it was two days later like you crossed the finish line man it was impressive had there not been a couple guys that were about in the same shape as me i remember chris horton we pretty much finished the hike together and and it was like every step was a cuss word. I mean, it hurt so bad, but having, you know, a couple guys in the same kind of fatigue and, and, and pain, it was, a it was a little bit easier to motivate, you know, and having that 
person beside you and help you want to finish it. But I was going to try until I absolutely couldn't. And I'm just really glad that I made it out of there and finished, you know, all those miles. It was a, it was something I, you know, I can go back and I can show people on a map how far we went, you know, and, and my kids and like, it's, it's a cool memory to look back on and, you know, I, I'd like to do it again. And hopefully I can figure out a, whether it's a boot or a, you know, a sock or some, some difference to, to help me out. But it was definitely an adventure uh, and I'm glad we were able to do it. Yeah. I think the training on hot coals is a solid idea. Yeah. I think it would be on something there. Yeah. It might help. I don't <laughs> know. Just definitely don't do it like right before you go. Yeah. Right. How about for you, Garrett? Uh, most uh, memorable, I guess. Uh, probably the first, uh, the Frank bear hunt that we did. Um, I got stuck with uh, Tyler Boschma and Travis. Um, that was that was something else because I mean, going into it, I don't know. That was like the third or fourth one I did, and knew quite a bit about those two, and they're just savages. So I was a little nervous going in. I think they were too. Like, is this kid gonna make it? Um, and then towards the end, like the thing that sticks out to me on that one. Uh, Travis just had it in his mind that uh, he wanted that cabotic quilt for a uh, heaviest pack out. So I think we were like 18, right around 18 miles in there um, to get out to the trucks. And we did hundred pound packs for 18 miles. And it was to this day, probably one of the worst things I've tried to do. Um, mentally, it was just like Justin was saying with the fatigue, it just hammers you. And I'm, I'm not very big. I'm only 160 pounds on a good day. Um, but those two like super motivational dudes helped push through it. Um, ended up blowing a nerve in my hip and could feel my quad for like a month. But, uh, that was probably the most banged up I've been except, I don't know, maybe last year that toe issue was pretty brutal. It seems like the first couple were not too bad. And then they, they progressively just hammering my body now but uh everybody has their issues on them and it's it's still impressive to get through them with the group of guys that we go with that's that that's what makes it memorable to me is uh the group of guys that you get to go with and and share those experiences with yeah so we wanted to to chat about a rifle elk hunt from from this fall but before we dive into that just like from your guys background experience just talk a bit about i guess your history with rifle elk specifically so you know steve and i've chatted about over the last couple of years how it's newer to us and we had mostly hunted elk um during archery seasons kind of exclusively until somewhat recently um what has that been like for you guys have you guys been pursuing bulls with a rifle for quite a while or what's the history there it's kind of the same story as you guys um i rifle hunted when i was younger um, I don't know. I'll let Justin, I don't know what, I don't think he's rifle hunted much. Even when he was younger, he's always been a huge bow guy. Um, but we just got on this path of bow hunting every single year. And it was, uh, Oh, a couple of years ago, we did a film, um, the artist and I pretty much dedicated my September to filming and, uh, decided to get a rifle tag that year and we were going to go on a rifle hunt and I'm, I'm glad we did it. Um, it was something new to us and it would kind of branch our, our content out, um, to be able to extend our season a little bit. So 
we went uh, on our first rifle hunt together. I mean, we we did a couple deer hunts prior to that, which was pretty standard. Like we usually do that every year and then some late archery stuff. Um, but we went on an elk hunt. First rifle hunt I'd been on in quite a few years um, and screwed up on one of the biggest bulls I'll, I'll probably see in a long time and on an over-the-counter tag and like an idiot tried to tried to archery hunt it with a long range gun and just pure stupidity. And we kind of, kind of got humbled on that hunt. Um, and then we've been after it every single year after that, I think kind of got Justin hooked on it too. Um, I mean, we're still tried and true archery guys, but rifles a, a huge player in, in what we do now. What do you mean when you say you tried to archery hunt it? What was that like mindset? Like get, or... Just getting yeah, into so you too can't, tight. You can't even say that. Here's where I'm going to start talking about here a little bit. So <laughs> right, I like it. We don't know what he was going through his head other than we had about a 380 to 390 class general bull. Um, I wouldn't say archery. I would say just like Banshee trying to like stab it or something running through the woods. It was awful. Um, yeah, it was it was an experience where at the end of the hunt, we were both not talking to each other. Like I wanted to kill him. He just kept making mistakes. I, I, yeah, it was just, it was awful. We, we had so many elk around us and you know, you, you have this gun for the first time and you think that you can just run into an opening you'll get a shot and shoot him, And it just backfired big time. We ended up, uh, yeah, passive, not passing, but screwing up on the big bull and then a few days later, screwing up on another like 340 bull and just every single time we tried to do something and just didn't work. And that definitely motivated us. And, you know, we we thought that if we were to go back in that same area, it'd be similar. And and so we just kind of kind of kept that in the back of our pocket that we wanted to try it. And we just kept with it. And the last couple of years, we've we've done pretty well. We've slowed down a lot. Uh we started hunting a lot smarter. We learned obviously from that year, uh, we made some huge mistakes, but just, uh, just reflecting on that one terrible hunt has, you know, been the reason why we were, you know, successful this year and last year as well. Yeah. So it's learning to be more patient. Yeah. It was a tough, uh, patience lesson to learn. And then we're the area we're hunting. It's not, it's not like your traditional rifle spot. This is, this is, I mean, you're lucky to get a 200 yard shot where we hunt. It's an old burn. It's lodge pole timber. You, you, most of the time you're seeing 50 yards to hundred yards. And so we had to really change up the way we were hunting. We were trying to glass, you know, through all these big openings and, and the elk are, they're in that timber. And, and so we, we ended up starting to really slow play and just walk real slow and, and do a lot of calling. Um, that's the benefit of, you know, that area they're, they're very vocal. So it gives you the opportunity to call in bulls. Um, but yeah, it just took a long time that, that entire hunt, that first year to kind of figure out what we needed to do to, to get one on the ground. Like we were trying too hard that first year in there, like almost to the sense it was going to be like too easy. Cause we had a gun, like if you can see it, you can kill it kind of deal. Yeah. And you and can do whatever you want. Madly humbled. Yeah. So like you just get away with anything. And that was, was sadly mistaken on that. Like can't remember any other hunt that I've screwed up so much. It was, uh, it was pretty bad. It was pissed. Well, at least it was all in small bowls. I mean, you got that. Yeah. For yeah. You. A bunch of raghorns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Justin so mad. Like 
he's yelling at me. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty, pretty great. But I, we went through it and, you know, it made us, made us better. Obviously we learned from mistakes and we've been successful every year after that. So uh, I take away anything from it. It did help us uh, learn how to hunt a little better. Yeah. So again, like prior to diving into this year's story, we had some questions as we've been talking about rifle elk a bit more from Steve and I's perspective from listeners and, you know, getting questions on guys only with experience with elk in September and just kind of curious about what's different, like in rifle season. And sometimes there's a lot of difference and sometimes there isn't, but you guys mentioned still using calling as a strategy and things like that. So what would you say is in your experience been similar to September, similar to archery in terms of tactics, in terms of locating elk, in terms of where they're preferring to be? And then what have you noticed being different? Um, and again, obviously that's going to vary based on the year, the time of the year, the area you're in, but, uh, what stands out for you guys in that regard of comparing rifle elk in October to archery elk in September? What's, what's been very similar is the calling aspect of it. You know, we, we're going on a rifle hunt that opens fairly early. Um, and so our, our whole tactic, our whole idea is, you know, trying to, to find a bullets bugling. And fortunately, the last three years in this area, they're very vocal. It's almost like they're still in the full rut. And so if we can just get a bull to sound off, because that, like I said, it's so dense in there. Um, you really don't stand a chance by glassing up elk. You're going to see them, you know, but they're going to be two miles away on the opposing ridge. But for us, it's been calling, just slow calling, you know, locate bugles, anything we can do to get a bull to sound off. And once he does, we feel pretty confident that we can slowly walk down on him. Um, in the last few years, it's been, it's been pretty chaotic. Usually if there's one bull in the area, there's multiple this time of year, they're still, still running around with cows. Um, it only lasts for a couple of days. We found, you know, as those first shots go off opening morning, um, depending on if it's us or other hunters in the area, but, you know, as far as the similarities of that September hunt, um, you know, we're, we're big callers in, in the archery season. And so for us, it's, it's, it's just what we do. Um, so we do just keep that same tactic. Um, what would you say the difference would be like, what makes it different? Um, obviously like if you get in on a herd bull now that we've slowed down a lot, um, in that country versus archery, like if you get within a hundred yards and just basically plant yourself, you'll kill that bull. Um, well, I mean, what we've seen the last, when well, we've been in there three years, kind of the same area, it's a relatively small area, like it's huge going into, but where they like to hang out, we've found uh, certain areas where the, those elk like to pile up um, during the rifle season. And if you can get down in there, locate a bull, like Justin said, there's multiple bulls. Um, so it's it's very similar to September. I'd almost say they're bugling maybe a little more because it's cooler out um, in October. But as far as like one of the post rut stuff, the big bulls, I occasionally you'll see like a big bull or three big bulls, not with cows, but more often than not, those big bulls are still running with cows. Um, but once we talk about our hunt this year, um, 
there was a huge separator in kind of what you would see more post rut stuff um, as far as as far as like a bull sanctuary per se, um, where those bulls really like to go hang out when they leave the cows. I, I almost think that there is definitely a difference in in your herd bulls. So in September, it, it seems like the elk are always on the move in the mornings. I mean, they're they're heading up, they're moving, they're constantly battling these satellite bulls coming in and out. It seems like you, you have a hard time catching up to them. But the last three years, we really found that if you can just find that herd bull, he doesn't go very far. And I don't know if that's because he's just he's tired from all the rutting all season and he's letting a lot of these satellite bulls, you know, get in with his herd. And he just, from what we've seen, he just runs them off a little bit, but the actual herd doesn't move that much. They're sitting there feeding, resting, whatever it is, they really haven't moved. So if you can just pinpoint where they're at, most of the time you're going to get pretty close. Yeah. I like it. And obviously, as you said, Garrett, this is, you know, we talk about quote unquote rifle versus archery you just have to keep context and timing in mind as you guys said this is pretty early in october what your experience has been so it's not it's not really a post rut hunt at this point i mean it's really no it's extended september essentially i mean from the from what we've seen i know there is you know areas that are totally post rut that time of year and the big bulls have split off and left cows but judging i mean we've been in there enough now that the elk are still going at it pretty heavy um, until those first, I'd say five to 10 shots in there. And then they, they get pretty quiet. They still will bugle, but it, it's not as you won't hear as many bugles throughout a day. And they're a lot more faint. So you have to be probably 300, 300 and under um, to hear a bull sound off. So that's, that's just what we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, we've chatted about that briefly with Steve and I's experience, but even on this year's hunt, like that's, striking early in, in rifle season is, you know, can be important. I mean, that goes into even on strategy of like me killing that bull opening morning and choosing not to pack it out very intentionally. It's like, let's keep hunting. Let's strike early. Let's try and fill two tags in the first day, a couple days, three days, um, versus killing one, taking, you know, a day and a half to pack it out. And then now hunting again on day three, day four, that type of thing. That's exactly what we did. Uh, what we did this year, this this year. So it kind of alternated. Um, the first year we both had, Justin and I both had tags. Um, the second year I was the only one with the tag. And then this year, um, Justin got a second tag. So we had three tags total this year. Another buddy of ours, um, went with us and that was our, that was our sole tactic was killable early, get it hung up and then keep hunting. And, you know, as you swing by that same area, in the later in the day or in the evening, grab a load of meat, take it with you to camp kind of deal. So you don't waste any of that early, early part of the season trying to kill a bull. Yeah. So take us into this hunt. It sounds like you guys this year were going into, as you've talked about an area you were familiar with, you kind of feel like, you know, where the elk want to be. Um, but yeah, how does the hunt start? I know Garrett, I think it was you that filled the tag pretty early. So just kind of roll us into the story. So new approach this year was there is a motorcycle trail in there um we decided me and the, our other buddy um, that was going to rifle hunt with us this year justin was um i don't know if you were steve anyways he was on another hunt early in september and we decided to go ride this motorcycle trail with some some of our camp gear 
took a saw. Um, we we're just going to clear a spot to camp, cut some wood. And just before we get into this first time I've ever been on a motorcycle, like I've never rode in my entire life. And I'm finding out why my parents never let me get one <laughs> as I slowly get into it. But, uh, anyways, I get these, uh, Yamaha big wheels and, uh, they hadn't ran in like 20 years and I fixed them up prior to going in, got them running. And we, we headed off to go take our gear in on this trail. And it was probably one of the sketchiest things I've, I've done in a while. I mean, I was just, I don't know if we can swear on this thing, but I was shitting razor blades. <laughs> uh, I don't know how in the world. I, I mean, the trail is like maybe 10 inches wide and I don't think my feet touched the damn pegs for like seven miles. I basically just walked the bike up there. I was so exhausted. The hardest thing I've freaking done. I only made it about, uh, I made it about three miles in and there was a big rock ledge you had to climb over and I had too much air in my tire. I didn't know that at the time because I knew nothing about riding or motorcycles. So I popped a big old wheelie and I had about 40 pounds of stuff on the back rack and down the mountain she went. I rolled it down about 60 yards and was just like, well, that's where she lays and we're not making it up. This trail's not doable. So after about, uh, after about an hour, we got it back up to the trail. There's only two of us. And I was just beat, exhausted. I'm like, man, what do you think? And well, if we've made it this far, we might as well keep going. And we had just started on the switchback portion, and there's like 37 or 38 switchbacks until you get to the top ridge. And then you have another three miles for, to where we camp from there. And uh, the switchbacks went fairly easy. I was pretty nervous on a few of them and just started to lighten up a little bit. And Finally made it up to where we camped and I was like, uh, there's no way I'm going back down that thing today. I'm so beat, tired. I feel like I'm just going to wreck my bike as soon as it hits the trail. So we cut firewood, ate some lunch, did a little bit of scouting, but it was early in September. It was pretty warm out. So we didn't, we didn't hear much and started back down the trail that evening. And it actually, as nervous as I was, it went a lot smoother going downhill, um, believe that or not and no issues. Um, and then Ty Lee actually screwed up one time and, and rolled his bike down off the switchbacks about his bike only went about 10 yards, but he rolled about 70 down the hill. Jeez. And, uh, it, I don't know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty scary. Like, uh, how we've had this many incidents and we're not even like taking stuff into hunt. So we thought it wasn't even doable. And I think Justin was just kind of chomping at the bit while we got back to hear how that went. Cause we've, we've never walked in on that side of the trail. You can get in it from it, uh, from the top. So we usually always walk in and, and uh, I think he was pretty anxious to hear how that went. And we told him, man, I don't know if it's doable. Like it's uh, it's pretty sketchy. So uh, I'd say, I don't know, about three weeks went by and we kind of recovered from all that. And, uh, got a wild hair and we're like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's, uh, let's take the bikes and let's just ride our stuff in there and do it. And the whole, the whole time I'm like, there's no way <laughs> I'm packing like $10,000 worth of camera equipment, a custom <laughs> rifle. Like I'm not going to let the opener of elk pass me by because my bike's upside down in the ditch. And I've rode before I used to ride all the time. I started riding 
you know, dirt bikes and racing and doing all of that. But I, I honestly, I haven't been on a bike in 10 years. So I just, I decided hey, I'm just going to walk in off the top. We'll have a rig up parked up high and then you guys will have the rig down below. We'll meet in the middle. If it takes me three more hours, oh, well, I can deer hunt on my way in. So that, that day before opener, uh, that was our plan. I walked in off the top, didn't see any critters in there, but seen some, seen some elk tracks. And, uh, I thought, I thought I was going to actually beat them in there. I, I thought I had a pretty good pace going in and, and, but they had already had the tent set up fire going. It was <laughs> like, I can't believe they made it in here without crashing. That was uh that was our opening night of getting in there at least. Yeah. The ride in, um, so that was, we hadn't been back to the trail since I had bought a new bike, had rode it a little bit prior. And then it went like a thousand times smoother going in. I think I tipped it over one time on a tight switch back, but it was very minor. And I think, I think we made it the first time it took about two and a half hours to get in there. And then that, uh, that second time we were in there in about an hour and 45 minutes, like just cruised up there. And it, uh, that, that made me feel real good about it. Like good decision. And it was nice being super fresh when you got in there, like set camp up in no time and just kind of relaxed, waited for Justin. And that was a big weight lifted off the shoulders. Like I wasn't even nervous about the hunt. I was more nervous about just making it in or live on that bike. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's the night essentially before the opener. So you guys are waking up on opening morning, ready yeah. to go then from camp. Yeah. Yeah. Last year we kind of made the mistake that, that we would go in and, and, deer hunt for four days prior to the elk hunt i wouldn't say mistake i think we just got hosed with weather well mistake so, as in mileage yeah we we planned this like 25 mile deer hunt to get into the spot and right where we wanted to elk hunt opening day and by the time we got in there we were we were pretty beat and so luckily garrett killed his bull opening morning um but there was no way that we were going to be able to get his bull out. I mean, we, we probably could have, but it would have taken us another three or four days to get in, get him out just cause it's so far in there. So we ended up calling for a bunch of help and having some people come help us out. But so this year, you know, we just, <clears throat> we really wanted to, you know, save our bodies. And so we'd only went in a day early. We knew that, you know, the last two seasons there'd been elk in the area. We didn't do any scouting prior. Didn't know how many, hunters were in there, but we just, we just went for it. And I think by going in, you know, just the day before we were definitely fresh. Um, probably the best thing about this October hunt for us is, you know, we have these earlier hunts, so we're getting in shape, um, in that country, it's, it's rugged. It's, it's terrible. And if you are just rifle hunting and that's the first hunt you're going to do of the year, it's going to smoke you. And so having those earlier hunts in September, uh, even in August, just help us out tremendously. So it was a, it was a great feeling to, to know that, you know, we were in there opening morning was the next day and we were fresh. Yeah. it's a really good point. I was worried about that myself with Steve coming off his sheep hunt. He was going to run me into the ground in October. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad he got one. <laughs> I was going to have to go on that bad boy and do 80 miles. That would have been like a week and a half before our rifle hunt. And he was just nervous. He's like, I hope Steve kills a ram. <laughs> well last uh, year we had that death hike and three days later i was going on a week-long spring bear hunt and oh yeah that's right 
even, you know, just terrible country, straight up, straight down. And I still had blisters and a sore knee. And I didn't think there was any way I was going to be able to do it, but we had, you know, made commitments prior. And so that was a, yeah, I really didn't want to go hunting that next week, but it, it came and it worked out. How did that uh, poison ivy go on that hunt, Justin? Uh, <laughs> don't get it. It's uh, You got intimate with it. Uh, real bad. Like, <laughs> I've, I've been in the woods my entire life, and I've never come across the stuff. I mean, I mean, I might have, but I, I didn't do my homework. I've never, I've never been able to distinguish between poison oak, poison ivy, whatever, what it, what it looks like. And that spring bear hunt, I don't know if we were pulling the stems to clear a spot for our tents, but we, I guess the oils, you know, they, it stays on your, on, on your hands. And then you, you start touching your, your neck, your hair, you take a leak, you know, whatever you touch and it just spreads. And by like the third day, it's, I had like this rash on the inner, on my inner thigh. And I thought, well, it's just the Merino wools. It's really hot. Just my skin's irritated. But a few days later, it was like engulfing my entire body from head to toe. It was, it was nasty. I ended up with a massive abscess underneath my kneecap. I had to go in and get uh, basically cut on, drained out. Like it's, it's not fun stuff. <laughs> I was on antibiotics and that wasn't working. I had to go in and check for uh, a blood clot. Like it was, it was pretty harsh. I spent a lot of time in the doctors and luckily it finally went away and yeah. You're pretty good that. at identifying the plant now. Yeah. I'm, I'm say, same as you, man. I've never got it. And I'm just like, I th- I think I've heard that some people can, you know, n- aren't going to have reactions to it. And I'm just like, yeah, that must be me. Cause I've, I've never got it in my life. Yeah. I, well, and the, the two other guys I was with, they hadn't seen it either. And so we really had no idea. And I remember we got down to the, the bottom of the trail we were heading out uh, and we ran into a guy on mules. He was big, big time shed hunter in there. And, and uh, one of the guys I was with, he's, he's asking him, he's like, Hey, what is this rash that we have all over our bodies? And the guy's like, Oh, the Ivy. We're like, what? He's like, yeah, poison Ivy. It's all over here. And he started pointing it out. And we're like, Holy crap. Like this stuff is everywhere. And it, it, it looks so different just depending on the time of year. It, it's, it's a long stem with these little yellow balls that are the little buds, you know? And yeah, we had no idea. And so I got back and, started doing some research and looking at, you know, what it actually looks like. And yeah, it's, it's not something you want to mess with. I, I would say best advice, keep a little bit of lidocaine in your little med kit just to numb some of the areas. So you don't itch them. Cause once you start that itch process, you, you just move in that oil and it's all over. And at that point you're, you're going to have it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Add lidocaine to the, the uh, gear mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You needed like a five gallon bucket of lidocaine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jumping back to the elk hunt, Garrett, take us into kind of how things went down there opening morning for you. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, rolling off of, um, the prior season, um, opening morning worked out really well that year. Um, we hadn't seen squat for elk and, uh, went in, killed a bull fairly early. And then this year, like, Justin was saying, um, kind of went in the, the day before opener. We're really getting an idea of where those elk like to hang out. Um, 
didn't see anything the day before opener um, and worked kind of down into our spot opening morning. There's a spot that we like to glass like right when it gets light and we started seeing elk instantly. And usually that's a really good sign. It just kind of means nobody has been down in there messing around during archery season if they're out on those big open pieces Um, because they only really hit those for a couple mornings early in the rifle season and then they're pretty much timbered up after that. Um, So we saw quite a few elk and then kind of got a glance at a good bull that just came up over the ridge. Um, Justin was running the camera. I got a quick look at him through the binos, like just good enough to like see he was worth going after. And he was probably half a mile um, from where we were glassing. And then kind of looking back at the footage when we got home, like it was, it was a really nice bull. I don't know if it's the bull I ended up shooting, but uh, we got a little better look at him. And anyways, we kind of headed down towards, towards them. Um, They like to work a certain direction to kind of drop in where they bed for the day. So we try to cut them off and we've tried this like every year and we can never catch them. Like all we have to do is kind of drop into a saddle, walk across the open ridge top and then kind of intersect them. And we can never, there's like a great crossing point where they go from the open back into the timber. And man, you can never catch those suckers in that thing. Like one of these years, I just want to go down there early. If the wind's good, sit and catch them right there at that intersection. And that's, that's part of the issue with why we haven't been able to intersect them is that wind is blowing typically down in the morning and those elk are below us. And so we really have to make sure that, you know, we're coming in off the side Cause if you blow them out like of that spot, man, it kind of hoses you for the next few days. Cause it's, there's a ton of country, but it's well, they just keep going lower and lower and there's no trail down in the bottom. And it is just, it's a, it's a bad place. Like there's a couple thousand feet that you would not want to pack an elk out of. So we kind of have like a imaginary cutoff line that we've, we've uh, drawn over the years that uh, nothing gets killed past that. Unless it's big. Unless it's, unless it's big. Even, uh, even the bull this year was, he was like right on the fence of pass or shoot. Um, so we'd work down, didn't end up catching that bull. Um, we heard, we were sitting on one little spot and had a little five point. Um, we let out a couple bugles, cow calls. We had a five point come in to about 150, 160 yards. And then a cow walked by. And the wind was just whipping up top, like just howling. And uh, we heard five, five or six gunshots off to our right. And then, I mean, pretty quick. And we kind of looked at each other like, how in the heck did that guy get off five shots in this country? Because we kind of knew where he was. Like I'd killed my bull relatively close to where those gunshots were the year before. And uh, it ended up being the outfitter and they never really mess around down in that country, but it was a, a younger kid that was the guide. So come to find out later, the guy shot a nice, nice mule deer in there and the elk kind of shut up for a minute and uh, we kind of hooked to our left away from those shots and let out a couple bugles and, and heard some bulls pipe off. Just kept working down the hill slow and got to a little bench knob and, and looked down and I jumped, uh, I jumped a couple deer and just kind of stopped. And then when, as I started to go forward again, Justin was like, Oh dude, stop, stop, stop. And those elk were, there was, I don't know, you could see about 10 cows bedded about 150 yards right below us. And it's like, 
so steep where we were. And then they were on like a little bench that they just looked like little dots at 150 yards. Like you never would have saw them. There's a little bit of snow and then just brown dirt um, where they had kicked out beds. So we, we stopped there and uh, Justin's getting the camera stuff set up and it was a bugger for him to film. It was, uh, it was so steep downhill and he was behind me about three or four yards. And I'm like, dude, don't move. Like they're, they're looking all around and there was, I don't know, what do you think? Four or five, five or six bulls going off. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just, we just set up shop there, didn't move. Um, And it's, it's tricky in there with a rifle, like at 150 yards, if they take three steps, like you can't even see the elk because the timber is so tight. So I'm trying to head check these bulls as they're coming by chasing cows. And it's just like, dude, I don't know. This is so hard. And Justin's like, I don't know if I'm going to even get this on film. This is awful because I, I can't stay on the same elk for more than like a split second. So we sat there and uh, this one bull just really piped off and kind of looked at each other like, yeah, that's a good bull. And uh, he finally made his way up to where those cows were bedded. And first thing I saw when he came up, um, he had great fronts. And I'm like, yeah, that, I mean, it looks like a really good bull. And then he kind of turned a few times and he was kind of, kind of crabby in the back. And I was like, man, I don't know. Like we had a a 300 mark was our cutoff for, for shooting an elk in there. And, you know, I'm just kind of trying to decide and I'm looking at Justin hoping he has seen it by now. And he's like, I have no idea. I haven't seen this bull at all. Like I haven't got a glimpse of him. And boy, we sat there for probably another 20 minutes or so. And that bull was kind of just working around his cows and I could have killed him multiple times and I, I didn't. And, uh, finally Justin got a really good look at him. He's like, Oh yeah, that's a shooter bull. Like you go ahead and shoot. I said, okay. So, uh, we waited for a little, a little slot and he was kind of working towards the right after a cow. And there was another bull that sounded real good that was coming up. And I was trying to hold out and wait for him and see what he looked like, but made the decision. Like if I waited too long, I probably wasn't going to get a shot off at this bull. So, um, Justin was like, well, when he hits a, hits a clearing, go ahead and just let me know. And I didn't catch that portion of the conversation. And I just let one rip. <laughs> <laughs> that bull's about 170 yards. And I, it scared the ever living crap out of Justin. Oh, man. Like, Dude, you're supposed to tell me. I, I didn't even touch the, the camera on the tripod. I had it on the bull and I was holding the other camera filming Garrett shooting and just the the recoil of that gun going off my whole camera set up on the tripod. You can see it totally move. Look like I jumped, you know? Uh, No, it was, uh, it was a tight window that I shot through, like just saw vitals. I got like a a third of the bull in my scope and just threaded the needle as 170 some yard shot and uh, shot. And boy, he didn't take off. Like he was, spooked or anything he just kind of didn't stand there either he just kind of walked off and i i racked another one in real quick just trying to get another one in him and it, i couldn't couldn't get another follow-up shot and i turned back to justin and i was like well dude i uh if i missed i guess i won't be super disappointed because this is an awful spot <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh, i don't know man i have no idea where you hit him like i i couldn't see and we can look at some footage and man, we, we tried looking and the bull just had walked out of the frame. Um, when I had shot 
so we couldn't we couldn't see uh where i'd hit him or anything and i was like well go down and try to look for blood and um we worked down in there and not one drop of blood and there was just after i shot i mean the place just erupted with elk justin was just baffled he's like dude there was a pile of elk in here yeah, there had to like they just kept funneling out 35 40 head in there and we had no idea we had seen no about 12 <laughs> like it just it got super loud bulls screaming and just started a mad chaos session in there so got down to where i thought i'd shot him looking back up the hill and it was like yeah this is pointless you might as well just try to find a dead bull at this point I couldn't find any blood. And then Justin walked down and he's like, dude, did did you, uh, did you shoot a cow? And I, my heart kind of sank a little bit. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I know I didn't shoot a cow, like made sure he had horns and it was the bull that I had saw right when he hit that opening. At this point, I'm getting nervous. (laughs) I I see a dead elk in front of me and I see no rack at all. And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) We're going to have to bury this thing. (laughs) Get your forks out. It was, uh, I was a pretty nervous, uh, walking down to Justin. I'm like, no, dude, I did not shoot a cow. I swear. He's like, man, I don't know. I don't see anything for horns. And then I'm thinking, was that bull just like, did I shoot a freaking raghorn? Like I screwed up big time. And I'm just kind of just super nervous walking down to Justin. We get down to him and he is completely flipped upside down and his rack is pretty much all the way underneath his body. And uh, took two of us to to get him flipped back over and boy, those horns popped out. And I was like, oh, that was worth squeezing the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just super deceiving. Like usually you don't have that happen. I mean, sometimes during archery season, but you usually get a fairly good look at him and at 150 yards in tight timber, trying to judge a bull as he's weaving in and out of tight timber is, is no easy feat. What, uh, what caliber gun and bullet did you shoot? Uh, shooting a 30 nozzler, uh, 210 grain. So I didn't, uh, didn't have to dial. I shot at about a 30 degree angle. It was, what type uh, of bullet? Steep. Uh, VLD. Burger? Burgers. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Crazy. You don't have a blood trail shooting burger. Yeah. No, like not, uh, not a drop. And he, I mean, he only went, I mean, what do you think? 30, 40 yards. Yeah. He was rolling. And it was like downhill the way he was headed. So if he took momentum three steps and tumbled, he's just momentum carrying him down the hill. I think that's why he was flipped on his rack, but, um, no, I'd, I'd hit, just absolutely perfect. Um, I was a little nervous, um, just cause of the angle, the shot, like shooting such steep downhill, I'd be high, but, uh, I hit right exactly where I wanted to. And yeah, he expired quick. And, uh, I was super happy when we got down to him, like, uh, glad I didn't pass him up. Cause there was a few times up on top, um, prior to when I shot him that I, I thought I was going to pass him up. So Justin kind of helped clarify that when, when he's like, yeah, that's a really good bull, man. You should uh, go ahead and shoot. So when your hunting buddy says that, you won't be in near as much trouble when you pull that trigger. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a stud bull, man. Like you said, yeah. good front. So if guys want to see him, you get some photos and whatnot on the top priority Instagram. And I'm sure there's a film to come at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Well, what we're going to do actually after at the end of this podcast, we're going to do some Instagram stuff. We're going to we're going to give back to some of our followers, anybody that jumps on this podcast that wants to jump on there. But you head over to Top Priority Hunting, our Instagram. We're going to do a little giveaway. Um, XO is going to do a gift card, and then SNS Archery is also going to do some trekking poles. Uh, just a simple guess a score on Garrett's bull and then my bull as well. Um, just give back to you guys a, a little bit and uh, yeah, we're wanting to show these bad boys off. Oh yeah. It was kind of a long elk hunt story, but that, that was just day one. <laughs> um, and then and leading up getting the into the spot. Room? Uh, what, about 11, 11, 1130. So we had plenty of time. Um, awful pictures. Like we just couldn't, it's so steep in there. Like we always get frustrated. We can't get, very good photography in there because we got to prop the bowl up basically there and there another thing in this place for some reason these bulls are massive bodied the biggest bodied elk i think we chase all year like they're just there's no moving them around the quarters are just ungodly huge and when they die that's where they lay so there's there's no like staging a, a photo shoot for them after uh after you make it happen so you mentioned earlier that's wanting to fill a tag, get them hung and keep hunting. So I'm sure that's, yeah. that's how the next that's, few hours proceeded. Yep. We, uh, we got him broke down, um, fairly quick. We were done by, I don't know, two thirty, and our other buddy was probably three miles away and he started, uh, he started heading our direction. And so we decided, uh, let's take a load out this evening. All three of us. Um, I took, uh, a front and the head and then Justin took a hind and Ty Lee took some loose meat and all his stuff that he had for the day. So we, we got a good portion of him out, um, that first day, which was a huge sense of relief because we didn't have to worry about, uh, about just packing, you know, the next few days so we could go hunt that morning and we didn't want to kill ourselves and be super tired for the next day. Um, the only downfall, um, of leaving at a bear, really get into everything last year, um, tore all my meat bags down. And in this burn, there's like no good spot to hang. So we made a meat pole at the kill site and tried to hang it just as high as we could. Um, and luckily, you know, nothing got into it. And we went down the next day after we had morning hunted, um, got there about four o'clock and then me and Justin packed the rest of him up back to camp. And once we get him up to camp, you're at the main trailhead. And then you either go up towards Justin's truck or, you know, our whole goal was to ride everything out on the bikes so we could, you know, kill multiple bulls in there. That's kind of why, why I wanted to get the bikes in there so we could keep hunting. And our, you know, our initial plan was to hunt in there the full length of the trip. Um, as the hunt progressed, the elk kind of got quiet. Um, we just, we couldn't really find any other good bulls worth, you know, shooting. Justin had passed a few. Um, we called a few smaller bulls. A couple days later, we ended up calling in a little four-point bull to ten yards twice. Yeah, so that was pretty pretty cool encounter. He was just looking for us. We just were slow calling to him. And then a little bit later that day, we called in a five-point to about a hundred yards, um, but just nothing that you you really don't want to shoot below that line unless he's a big bull. Um, or else, you know, you're going to be working your tail off and there's, a, there's some quality bulls in this area. And so we knew kind of going in what we had, our, our standards were kind of set at. So we knew, we had plenty of time, uh, 
it was only our third day yeah. before we uh, we decided to relocate out of the area. We started really thinking about how many trips we're going to have to make on the bikes, how many days, you know, we're going to have just shuttling meat off the mountain. And, and we, we started out by thinking it was going to take two full days and, and we ended up doing it in one day, but it was uh, a day that Garrett will remember forever. <laughs> Me and that trail, man, we have uh, quite the vengeance for each other, but uh, it got me again. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll hit you on it. So we were, decide, we were sitting around the fire, uh, but like I said, about a third day in, and we're like, let's just pull out tomorrow morning. Um, since I didn't have a bike, I had a bike actually down in the truck that Garrett picked up for me. Um, so I could experience the trail. So I was really thrilled about that. But wait, 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 before that, like just talking with Justin, this is, I've, I've been just dying all season to watch him ride. Cause I've never seen him ride a bike. I knew he used to just be a daredevil on a motorcycle and he's, you know, kind of pep talking as we were talking about taking stuff up, riding this trail. And he's like, Oh man, you and we were drinking a little whiskey that night, but he's like, well, you boys are doing it all wrong. You got to just carry your speed and then switch backs. And you just, you know, like third gear, just <laughs> go as fast as you can and just whip your ass in around those, those switchbacks. And I, man, we are just rolling. Cause man, you haven't even walked down that trail. Yeah. Oh, man, I'd do anything on that bike. I'm like, man, I am dying to see this. I cannot wait. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty exciting. Uh, just getting to see Justin back on a bike and uh, hit that trail. Did he live up to his talk? Oh, I'll let him get into the story. Uh, So I walk the the whole, uh, I walk his horns off the mountain and the guns because you don't want to ride a motorcycle with this rack. So it's about an eight and a half mile walk out of there. And the whole time I'm clearing the trail, making it all nice because I know we're going to have to make multiple trips. I'm kicking rock sticks out of the way from all the wind and, these guys end up catching me um, pretty much when I had about two miles left. So I knew they made it. Everything was good. They took out the first load of meat and uh, we get back to the truck. We get out the bike. Uh, I rip around the road a few times trying to get used to it again. Like I said, it's been probably 10 years. Felt pretty comfortable. Uh, we went back up immediately after um, this trip. We had no weight on our backs. We just carried in our frames. Um, so we, it was, it was pretty easy really. And we flew up that trail. I had a couple issues with the switchbacks as far as like wheeling up on the hillside. Um, but kind of figured it out as we went, uh, really, it was like a fun little ride. Like, it was really fun. We had a blast going up there, got to camp. We broke it all down. We started loading the, the bikes and, and we had been debating, do we make two trips? Do we make one? And, and me being a guy that now this ain't that bad you know i was like let's get it out in one we'll have a whole nother day to hunt and garrett the entire time was like dude we need to make two trips we need to make two trips like it's too heavy it's too heavy and and i think i talked tightly into let's just let's just try it in one and i probably had 90 pounds on my pack it was just ginormous trying to ride this little 230 dirt bike Garrett had quarters and me, we were all right, right around that hundred pound mark. And we go down the trail and everything's fine. You get to these switchbacks and, and, and I could tell by Garrett's riding style that he was, he was gonna, he was gonna struggle because one, he wasn't carrying speed. And, and with that much weight, if you, if you hit a rock, your balance is just so shifty that you're going to tumble. And, and it was hard. Uh, I mean, 
<laughs> I hadn't rode, like I said, in 10 years. And so for me, it was a challenge with all that weight, but we go down there and there's one section where Garrett's out in front of us. And, and I swear it was in slow motion. He, he kind of like stalls out. So he has to start his bike back up and he starts going on this rock ledge. And it was just like the next thing you look over and he's just like slow motion tipping over the side of the trail and you just watch him. And pretty soon it's just a cloud of dust and his bike is 15 feet in the air doing somersaults down the trail and the bike's following him down, landing right on top of him and he's kicking it away. But that bike looked like it was going to go to the bottom of the earth. It had picked up so much speed. I was waiting for the tires and everything just to explode off of it. He's cartwheeling down like instantly. I thought, Oh my God, like he's going to be hurt so bad. (laughs) Would you go like two or three switchbacks down your bike? Three, three switchbacks. So I had, I had a half of a hind in camp stuff on a bag on my back rack of the bike bungeed on. And then another half, that other half of the hind on my pack with more camp stuff. So I was probably, I don't know, 50 pounds on my pack, no gun, no trekking poles, anything like that. So no like large objects sticking out of my pack. And uh, I mean, granted, yeah, it sucked, but probably what saved me kind of, I guess saved me, but sucked for momentum was having that pack is kind of like padding because I was hauling ass like as I wrecked down that hill. I don't think I've ever rolled that fast in my life. And when I first went, like when I first tipped my bike, I'm like, this is not going to be good. This is going to hurt so bad. And I tried to jump and just ditch my bike. I only made it about two feet away from my bike. And it's so steep that man, once it starts and the, and the ground's fairly loose, little rocky and just, I mean, no other big trees in that section of the trail that are, uh, that are on the hill. But, uh, what worried me, cause I had wrecked, um, I didn't even talk about this, but I had wrecked uh, another time going in scouting a trail. And I had that, a bike roll over the top of me as I was like pinned on a piece of deadfall and it hurt so freaking bad. So I was nervous as I was rolling all this time and I'm trying to turn back every chance I get, like, as I roll over looking for that bike, like when it's just going to crush me. So I'm trying to basically kick away from that bike every time I can like semi get my feet and just get the heck away from it. Cause it's getting like, it's getting higher and higher in the air as I roll over every time I'm like, boy, if that thing hits me, it's going to hurt so freaking bad. And I was worried the whole time just about my bike. Cause we were only about halfway on that trail. I'm like, man, if that thing's mangled, I was like halfway pissed at myself. Like that was so stupid. But if that sucker's mangled, that is going to be awful to get everything out of here. So, um, finally came to like a stop. I had so much shit in my eyes. I couldn't see, lost my hat, sunglasses, my arms were cut up my face. Like I saw blood on the ground. My bike had stopped. I don't know how it stopped like 10 or 12 yards below a switchback. Um, and I just kind of like gathered myself, looked up at those two, and it looked like somebody just shot me. Like those two, the look on their face was like, there's no way you can be okay. And they're, <laughs> they're hollering down like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Like, there's like, no, are you, are you okay? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'll be, I'll be all right. And I'm trying to collect myself. I 
I get up to the trail, I get my shit that's just scattered all over the hill, get back up to them. And they're just like, they can't even believe what just happened. Like the look on those two's faces was just priceless. My biggest regret of the entire trip that, that week was not having a GoPro or a drone following us down the hill. That would have been the most epic intro to a film. Ever. I, wish, I wish everybody could have seen that wreck. Like it was, it was like slow motion, but then it just was like a NASCAR, like Daytona 500 wreck. Like it was, it was nuts. And those two, like when you're on the trail, you're just totally helpless sitting on your bike like you turn your bike off and you just kind of watch because you can't do anything because like, that guy who wrecks is going so fast down the hill with all of his crap that you just pretty much have to go down as as everything settles and and just see if he's still alive kind of a deal <laughs> so we uh got back down to my bike and that for some reason i mean just totally fine nothing nothing was broke on it Frame was fine. Uh, the tire was pushed in a little bit with some dirt and stuff, but uh, we dug that out of there. My handlebars were pushed down. Um, it was just quick fix and got back on. And I really did not want to ride out the rest of the trail after that had happened, but uh, got back on that sucker and we uh, we rode out to the truck and I'd never been so happy to get back down to the truck and get that shit off my bike and not get back on that bike and ride again. <laughs> <laughs> so the real reason that you guys relocated was not because you weren't seen or hearing much elk, but just because you didn't want to get back on the bike. It was a mixture of both. A lot of those, a lot of those elk were dropping way down low in the hole. And so we knew that by getting that third tag filled, it was going to be extremely tough to get all three elk out on bikes. Um, and then obviously packing up uphill all the way to our camp. And um, we knew another location I had killed a bull uh, that same, that first year that we went, went into that country on an opposing ridge. And so we kind of had that in the back of our minds that, you know, that's the reason why we wanted to locate. We want to go over there and hunt those elk. We could see them across the drainage. We knew that they'd be over there. Um, and so that was our main reason why we wanted to kind of get out of there. We got our one with the bikes. We, we made it out alive. And so we, we figured we'd just hike in on that new area. And so we relocated uh, once we got back into town and then that sets up my hunt. Yeah. So is this straight in, you guys said in town, did you guys just kind of stay one night between hunts? Yeah. yeah. So it happened to be Ty Lee or my cousin's uh, birthday that day that we were coming off the mountain. So we decided to get some pizza, have a few drinks in town. Uh, and then we were going to drive all the way around the mountain um, and throw out a tent sleep sleep that night but we were just exhausted from riding off the hill so we ended up getting a hotel that night which was amazing we all took showers uh so that was that was awesome the next morning uh, is when we relocated so we didn't actually get into where we wanted to hunt we we showed up about one o'clock we had ran into a guy that was just coming off the mountain that had shot a big six point way back in there and we started talking to him and he he basically said that he was the only guy back there. Uh, it was really awesome because he was giving us all the intel. We were actually just going to day hunt and hike in the, the three miles um, from the trucks and come back and just day hunt that for the next few days. But he ended up sharing there's a lot of elk back in there and they were still vocal. And so right then we were like, well, I guess we'll load back up. So we, so we grabbed all of our backpacking gear and, 
and hiked in there. And we got, we got to our camp, picked a spot out by some water, probably around four o'clock in the afternoon. And then, uh, you know, it, this time of year, it's getting dark at about seven 30. So we still had plenty of time. We ended up just walking out in the direction that I killed my bull three years ago. And in that country, there's just, like I said, it's just like a, it's benchy and you'll, you'll walk around, but it's, it's a lot of burn. You'll come into these uh, green areas where the trees didn't get burned up near the creeks and tons of water. And, but you, you just keep side hilling, walking through these real slow. We'd bugle, cow call, nothing, just keep going and going and going. And this, this is kind of where it gets into that uh, mark as we were talking that, that post rut deal like this area that we were at hunting for Justin was a total post rut after these bulls lead cows kind of area, like kind of where they summer and then where they go post rut um, to kind of recover from, from the rut. Like what Justin will explain, like what the area looks yeah. like. Like so you walk in this area and we knew I, I hadn't been in there before except the three years ago, I come right in, I shot my elk and we got it out. But this year we were in a, in quite a bit more of that country. And so we're walking through it and it's just loaded with rubs. And it, I mean, every 15 feet, there is a rub on every single tree. Like it is just, they're definitely in here, you know, it's kind of their, their, their pre-rut or, you know, and then obviously getting their, their, uh, areas figured out, distinguishing between bulls. Um, and so that was an awesome sign where after this hunt actually got over, we're, we're really contemplating of archery hunting it because we've had, you know, so much encounters with vocal elk in there. We think, you know, it'd be really fun to hunt that tight timber. Um, but just seeing that all them rubs, you know, they're in there in August, they're probably not going to go very far in September. And then obviously they're right back in there in October, but there's, there's everything that they need. There's water, there's steep, there's trees, there's green patches. It's, it's a, you know, a North slope. So it's very cool. Um, just everything that they, they want basically. Mm-hmm. And so back into my story, we get camp situated and, and now it's all three of us. We had been hunting just me and Garrett. So it was going to be a challenge and, um, Tylee was, was awesome. He wasn't, you know, very selfless, Like he, he didn't really care if he was going to shoot or if I was going to shoot. And I just ended up being in front. Um, and we would just go, you're just walking real, real slow and it's the ground's nice and damp and you can hear and basically side hill on across. Then we come up to this, there's like a, a big rock cropping in the middle of the straw and it's, you're right in the middle of where the where the timber hasn't burned. So it's very green and lush in there. Uh, let out a bugle and boom, a bull fires off about 150 yards, 200 yards maybe. And so we're like, okay, cool. We're right in him, you know, and we start calling a little bit more just to see what he's going to do. And I, and look down to my, look down the draw over that rock cropping and I see an elk moving through the trees. So we both set up real quick and it's a decent bull. Um, don't know if it was the one that bugled. I thought it was. And so he, he never presented a shot for me and he kind of turned, I got a glimpse of him as he's walking away. I think he got our wind, but he kind of circles around and I'm like, crap, you know, it's over. Cause we just heard the one bugle and, and then Ty Lee's like, man, I, I still think that bull's right there. 
So I bugle again and that thing rips. And this time he's about a hundred yards. He's right on the other side of the rock cropping. So I'm thinking, all right, here we go. And I start crossing the rock cropping and, and I didn't know it at the time until after I'd shot my elk. But so while I'm cow calling my, I just started soft little cow calls right to this bull. And pretty soon two other bulls started firing off and they're really close as well. So I've got these bulls just going crazy. And I'm just sounding like a little cow, just walking in, you know, and I grow, go across these rocks. And, um, but apparently my cow calling got a, a, a giant mountain lion, uh, attracted enough to come right behind Garrett and Ty Lee and Ty Lee turned around. He heard something and about 10 yards behind him. There was this huge cat just like on the stock right behind him. As soon as Ty Lee, you know, spins that cat catches him and he, he ends up taking off, but I hadn't even known that that, that even happened until after I had shot my bull. But so yeah, it scared us pretty good. Well, Justin had no, he didn't really have much to be scared of, but I was just full focus filming. Justin had no clue, like just mine turned off. All I heard was Tylee. Oh my God. Did you see that? I'm like, <laughs> dude, be quiet. He's like, no, did you see that cat? No. <laughs> and uh, he took, like just took off. And I'm just standing there. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And he gets back down and he's like, dude, there was a cat like 10 yards behind you, just getting ready to pounce. And I'm like, well, why didn't you shoot it? He's like, he spun right when I spun around. I tried to, I tried to kill him. He's like biggest freaking cat I've ever seen in my life. Just giant. I'm like, well, that's really cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah, that's great. So as soon as I cross that rock cropping, uh, I'm just really trying to search through the timber and, and see any kind of movement, see an elk. And I'm still continuing to kind of softly cow call. And, and as soon as I just get to this little bitty opening, I see two bulls running off. They're running away from me and instantly your heart drops and you're like, it's over. And then all of a sudden I hear one of these guys shout out to your left, to your left, to your left. And I look over and here comes my bull and he is on a dead run around this tree coming in hot and it happened so fast that all I could see was his frame, knew he was a good bull. Just, I had already, I was already pretty close to my knees and I shot that bull at 20 yards frontal. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, like, it happened so fast. And honestly, I've archery hunted my entire life and I've yet to have a mature bull come run in like that. Like I've always had the little, you know, spikes, raghorns and whatnot, just come barreling in. But to see a mature bull run in like that with his mouth open, just, I mean, he was coming in so fast. I couldn't believe it. Um, shot him, shot him in the chest. He ran down, ran past us. I was blown away that he didn't just tip over right there. The entire time he was running off, you could see like he was at any point he was going to endo and uh, we ended up walking down maybe 70 yards and he was piled up and we had our second bull on the ground. It was, it was insane. <laughs> right by the cat den. Yeah. <laughs> Man, all that happened fast. When, when you guys, uh, so a couple questions, I guess both related to optics in different ways. Number one, when you guys are kind of moving and almost still hunting, right? As you've, you've, you've talked about mm, kind yeah. of covering country, do are you, because it's not totally open, but somewhat open, are you guys using binos at all or just really kind of keeping an eye open with the naked eye? Uh, you know, we're definitely using binos to check, uh, not necessarily like glassing through those openings. You can, you can get away with a lot of movement in that timber. 
Um, yes, we've gotten busted before, but really you're going to see them and you see a butt, you know, you see the midsection of their body moving through the trees and you stop and then you pull up your binos and glass through it. And, and like Garrett said, like at any point you can, you can have the perfect shot or, you know, not see them at all. And so it's been a, it's been a challenge. You, you have these great elk in front of you and they're only a hundred yards away. And, and most of the time you're not even getting a shot. Like they're just, it's so it's dense. In there. It, it is frustrating, but you know, we're really, other than glassing those opposing ridges or any clearings, like there's definitely no need for a spotting scope in there. We took one in the first year, um, but basically you're looking all the way across the canyon. It doesn't do you any good in the timber. Even, even my uh, filming stuff, like we keep taking in our 200 to 600 millimeter lens on a tripod and packing in all this gear and just to get, you know, epic footage. And it, it's almost nearly impossible to get that set up and, and on an animal. It's, it's too close. We're basically running the same camera equipment that I run for archery elk. As far as my lenses, it just, it, it, it's, it's pretty baffling that that's our rifle spot. It, it really, I think it's going to make an amazing archery spot if we ever get into that. I mean, it definitely gets frustrating at times, Mark, like, yeah, there's times you, it's pointless to have binos or a, a high powered rifle, long range, like you need a lever action 30, 30 with open sights in there. Like that's how tight it is. And you can't see much. I know Justin gets like that day before he killed his bull. He's because we were wanting to get to an opening so we could glass like where these elk could come out and feed and, I'm like, man, we got to just go slow. Like we just had jumped a bull probably 500 yards before Justin killed his, didn't get a super good look at him, just saw a flash of rack and that was it. I'm like, man, there, there's going to be elk in here. And he really slowed down and, and just started like just cold calling. And soon enough, like we get close enough to those bulls, they'd pipe off and man, that's all it takes. Like you just keep going slow and just still hunt it and, and you'll eventually run into them to where you can get a shot. Then just another thing that comes to mind is, you know, you guys, and obviously this shot opportunity is a perfect example. Justin happens so fast was so close is always making sure to keep your rifle at a low magnification power. Probably the lowest option <laughs> yeah. you have, right? I was at a 10 power. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oops. <laughs> yeah, definitely a uh, low power and have your, uh, you know, your, your reticle focal length, at, yeah, your parallax at a uh, probably 75 yards is what I typically would run it on. Um, but yeah, it, it happened so fast that I probably could have stopped that bull, but I had his entire chest, you know, and just let it go. But yeah, it was, it was crazy. I, when it, when it was all said and done, I just sit there in disbelief. Like I just shot a bull with a gun that'll shoot over my gun. I, I named it the, the rock crusher because seems like every hunt that's all I'm doing is shooting rocks at a thousand yards, you know, and, and, uh, we finally got the rock crusher's first kill and it's funny. It's a 20 yard shot. <laughs> I think what, I think what was really cool about this hunt is, you know, over the seasons you see patterns, whether it's just hunting a couple years, but you really figure out where these elk like to be. And I killed my bull 112 yards as a as the you draw a line on onyx 112 yards from the bull i killed three years ago garrett killed his bull uh, like 480 yards apart 
from his bull last year. And so these elk, they really like to hang out in these certain areas. And I think, you know, you overlook those spots. Yeah, they're not, there's not going to be elk in them every time, but you pay enough attention to those spots. Like there's a reason why they're there. Yeah. And, and it's definitely been the, you know, one of the reasons why we've been successful, we've stuck to haunting those similar areas and, and just finding out where they like to hold up. Yeah. Mark, that meant your bowl this year, they couldn't have been 400 yards apart. Yeah. Yeah. I drew a quick line in Onyx and yeah, I was right about that. Like 400 yards apart from this year and last year with my bulls as well. Like, and I mean, even their, even before the shot, like their behavior is so similar. Actually the bull I passed last year was almost in the same spot. I shot my bull this year. I mean, yeah, it's like when you, when you find that and then what's fun about that for me is like, obviously from a hunting perspective, it's like, yeah, that's great. There's elk, but like picking that apart, like, why are they there? Like what, Mm -hmm. you know, from both the time of the day that they're there to what they're doing to how they're moving to where they're going. Like that's, I like seeing that because it helps me like kind of understand. I feel like I know the elk better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A great example of this is so Garrett, Garrett shoots his bull on opening day. When we crest over that hill, you can see where all those cows are bedded and where he ends up shooting that bull. The next day we're hunting down that same direction. Cause we know at the end of the, at the, in the evening, we're going to pack out the rest of the elk back to camp. So we go down there and my whole idea was let's sneak down there. Maybe we'll catch a bear on his carcass, you know? And so we crest over and I kid you not, there's six cows laying there with two spikes in the exact same spot that he shot his bull the day before the meat's hanging on the meat pole. The carcass <laughs> is 40 yards away from those elk. They're yeah. literally in the exact same spot, same bed. It was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that's crazy. Same with us. I shot my bull opening morning. We were in the same spot that evening. We ended up camping, you know, within a couple hundred yards and there was a whole nother herd there that evening for sure. Yeah. I don't know if that's just a October thing or I'm sure they move more in September, but I feel like they don't move as much in October. Like they have a, a smaller circle that they like to do versus September where they're kind of just pushing and mm-hmm. chasing cows and chasing other bulls off and just, they kind of end up where they end wherever that lead cow wants to go. Yeah. Well guys, we could, uh, we could talk for another hour plus I'm sure, but we better wrap this up. What Justin, you mentioned a couple things, one, an Instagram giveaway. And then obviously if any guys, anybody's listening to this is newer to your stuff, like make sure they know where to go to check out your prior films or maybe subscribe to get the films that are coming, including from this hunt. Yeah. Top priority hunting. Uh, you can look us up on YouTube. That's where all of our films are based. Uh, we've got a ton of content from last year and this year we'll start releasing this winter. Um, but as far as our photography and our Instagram and Facebook search, the same thing, top already hunting. Uh, like I said, we're going to do a giveaway of an XL Mountain Gear gift card and SNS archery trekking poles uh, shortly after this, probably draw on Saturday. Um, but yeah, just guess the score on our two bulls. Um, whoever's closest, going to win some cool stuff. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I like it. We'll leave those links in the show description as well. And guys, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget about the giveaway happening on the Top Priority Instagram page right now, as well as the Exo Experience giveaway. There are links for both of those in the show description. 
As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you share it with a friend or leave a review in your podcast app where possible. And finally, you can always reach us by email if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for the show by sending that email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'll talk to you soon.